0: Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. Welcome to episode 37 of the podcast and regular listeners will notice I've got myself a new music intro, I just fancied a change, I hope you like it. So I'm going to start this episode with a little bit of news. I'm going to be attending Mancunicon which is the 67th annual British Science Fiction Convention over the Easter weekend of next year. That's the 25th to the 28th of March 2016 in Manchester, England. If you're planning to be there, please let me know. It'd be good to meet up with you. I'm also going to be speaking at the First Page Creative Writers Conference in the Lake District this year in November. This is the conference that I've been referring to as the Lake School of Writing. It's been rebranded now as First Page. Um, I'll be joining some excellent speakers and we will be exploring the art of storytelling if you fancy coming along you can find the application form on my website www.andrewjchamberlain.com or you can drop me a line andrew at and if you'd like me to speak at your conference or event again just drop me an email and we'll have a chat about that andrew at So today we are looking at what we need to achieve at the start of a story. In episode 36 we looked at the six stages of story and this episode is the first in a series where I want to explore each of the stages in a bit more detail. As ever I'm using practical examples to help me illustrate the point I'm making and to help you apply the ideas I'm presenting in your own work. So let's remind ourselves briefly of what the six stages of story that I outlined were. First of all stage one, start and context. This stage is not just about starting your story it's also the moment where you have to achieve three vital objectives and they're objectives that we're going to unpack a little bit in this episode. The first is to grab your reader, the second is Is to introduce characters and setting and voice. And the third is to create the conditions for your inciting incident. As I said, we're going to explore these three objectives a little bit more in the episode today. Stage two is the inciting incident. Now, some of you might be asking, what is this inciting incident? What does it mean? Well, for those of you who haven't come across the phrase before, the inciting incident is the point where the story which you've been building up to is released. It really starts to get going. And I'm going to cover this in a lot more detail in the next episode, so I won't say too much more about it now. Stage three spans the often large section of the story, from the inciting incident through to the crisis of the story. And it represents that part of your tale where you're carrying the reader to the point where things will be resolved once and for all. But as I mentioned in the last episode, stories are often represented diagrammatically as a hill. You climb the hill on one side and fall swiftly down on the other now this stage stage three is about climbing that hill and for climbing a hill you need momentum and you need energy and that's what your story needs at this stage energy and momentum to carry the readers all the way through to the crisis and stage four is the crisis and the word crisis here doesn't necessarily mean that everything's gone wrong and it's all going to fall apart in fact the best way to think of the word is that it has its roots in the ancient greek language and refers to making a decision and that's a good way to think of this stage of the story the character's make choices and take actions which bring them to this decisive moment. So let's move on to stage five and this is what I call the climax. If you like it's the battle although by no means it's not a physical battle. In fact there can be no violence at all. The climax must present two opposing desires, two worldviews, two forces that can't coexist. And they must oppose each other and confront each other. And after that, we reach stage six, the final stage, which is the resolution. And it's here that we see the consequences of the outcome of the climax. And then we close the story. So those are our six stages. I'll be exploring all of them in a lot more detail over the coming episodes. But today we're looking at stage one and the three objectives... That you as a writer have to achieve in that first stage so let's have a look at objective one grab your reader in episode 30 of the podcast i talked about writing a compelling first line and more generally the start of your story should be used to draw your reader in with an intriguing and compelling start this doesn't mean that you have to have fireworks and thunder going off all over the place our aim as writers to keep the reader reading to stop them from going off and doing something else and to do this we need to enthrall them and intrigue them and draw them in how do we do that essentially there are two approaches first approach start with something unusual bizarre shocking absurd even it has to be something that will arouse the curiosity of the reader without them thinking that you've said something that's so outrageous and so ridiculous that it puts them off so for example consider these opening lines. It was the afternoon of my 81st birthday, and I was in bed with my catamite when Ali announced that the Archbishop had come to see me. So begins Anthony Burgess's novel, Earthly Powers. It's almost too ridiculous a first line, but not quite. Notice that the setting takes itself perfectly seriously. And there's a lesson here if you're going to start your story with something absurd or bizarre. And the lesson is this, your story has to take itself seriously from the beginning. If the story doesn't take itself seriously, then the reader will fall back on just laughing at you and dismissing your work. Now, a rather more serene but still powerful example comes from J.M. Barrie's novel, Peter and Wendy, which starts like this. All children except one grow up. And at that point, as readers, we're hooked by the question, who is this child who does not grow up? A similar technique is used by Ray Bradbury in his science fiction classic, Fahrenheit 451. He starts with this line, it was a pleasure to burn. So again, as readers, we ask ourselves, what was a pleasure to burn? What is he burning? Why does he take pleasure in it? And as soon as readers start to ask these questions, you've got them hooked. Let's take another example. This first line is from The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold. My name is Salmon, like the fish. First name, Susie. I was 14 when I was murdered. Again, we have a sense of intrigue. Here is a character introducing themselves and then saying that they were murdered. Final example is from my short story, Traveler's Blues. The opening sentence of that story is this Natasha McCourt waved goodbye to me for the last time and walked into the airlock. The fact that she's saying goodbye hints at the finality of her going into the airlock. The implication is that she's going purposefully, in fact, she's going purposefully to her death. And here I want to engender questions in the reader's mind. Why would she do this? Who is the narrator? How will they react? What made Natasha do this? And so your story starts with something of a bang, or at least with intrigue, with shock, with murder, with the absurd, maybe with conflict. Remember, though, that shocking the reader is not in itself the objective getting them snared and intrigued by your story and engrossed is so that's the first approach for grabbing your reader the second approach is to present your reader with something compelling from the dimensions of your story and by dimensions i mean the characters the setting the voice and you can do this by taking your time and spinning something which provides one or more of these dimensions now this approach usually requires more than one sentence So let's consider a couple of examples. My first is taken from J.D. Salinger's classic, The Catcher in the Rye. This is how the first paragraph of that book reads. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. In the first place, that stuff bores me. And in the second place, my parents would have about two hemorrhages apiece if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all. I'm not saying that. But they are also as touchy as hell. Besides, I'm not going to tell you my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas just before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. I mean, that's all I told DB about and he's my brother and all. He's in Hollywood. That isn't too far from this crummy place and he comes over and visits me practically every weekend. He's going to drive me home when I go home next month maybe. He's got a Jaguar, one of those little English jobs that can do around 200 miles an hour. It cost him damn near 4,000 bucks. He's got a lot of dough now. He didn't used to, he used to be just a regular writer when he was home. He wrote this terrific book of short stories, The Secret Goldfish, in case you've heard of him. The best one in it was The Secret Goldfish. It was about this little kid who wouldn't let anybody look at his goldfish because he'd bought it with his own money. It killed me. Now he's out in Hollywood, DB, being a prostitute. If there's one thing I hate, it's the movies. Don't even mention them to me. Now from this, J.D. Salinger is giving us a good idea of his main narrator, his main character. And he's also giving us a sense of the voice that he is going to use in the book. And I'll be saying a lot more about voice in future episodes, but suffice it to say now that establishing voice is at least as important as establishing character or setting in the very beginning of your work. Now you can do a similar thing by establishing setting and scene. So let's consider this example. At just after three o'clock on a breezy Saturday afternoon, the trading clipper Arabella eased into Biddeford Docks, fat with the burden of her precious cargo. Her crew, some baked and crack-skinned, lined the deck to watch the cheering crowd gather on the jetty. Gulls circled above her, screaming their welcome as they turned on the brisk sea air. The Arabella nudged the dock once, twice and was still. She sat heavy in her berth, pregnant with treasures from the other side of the world, silver and gold and soft cotton from newly independent Mexico, sugar and coffee and tangy sweet pineapples from Brazil. Captain Merritt eased himself down the gangway and stumbled onto the wharf, clutching a black leather bag to his chest. He had become so used to the heave and swell of the sea that the flagstones beneath his blistered feet seemed to tip him over. He held out a hand to steady himself. ''Get it all unloaded, boys,'' he barked. ''Let's give these good people their wares.'' Then he hobbled off towards the town, avoiding the gaze of those around him, holding the leather bag tight to his breast. Now in this example... The aim is to give your reader enough setting and enough mood, enough flavour to draw them in. And also to introduce a character with a little bit of intrigue. This Captain Merritt, who is he? What is in the bag that he's clutching so tightly So you see there's two different ways to achieve this first objective. You can hit the reader between the eyes with just one or two sentences and really grab them that way. Or you can set your scene out, usually by introducing one or more of the dimensions of your story. Character, setting, scene, voice. That's the first of the three objectives in the first stage. Objective two, set out your stall. When you're starting a story, it's essential to set out the key dimensions of your work, especially the ones that I've already mentioned, setting and character and voice. You might have already done some of this with your opening lines, especially if you went for the second option that I just described. But whether you have or not, very early on, you need to present these dimensions with sufficient confidence and clarity that your reader will feel able to allow themselves to be taken into the world that you're creating. Take, for example, the opening lines of Daphne du Maurier's classic novel, Rebecca. This is how that novel starts. Last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. It seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive, and for a while I could not enter, for the way was barred to me. There was a padlock and a chain upon the gate. I called in my dream to the lodgekeeper and had no answer, and peering closer through the rusted spokes of the gate, I saw that the lodge was uninhabited. No smoke came from the chimney, and the little lattice of windows gaped forlorn. Then, like all dreamers, I was possessed of a sudden and supernatural power and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. Now, we could easily spend an episode of the podcast deconstructing this opening, and it's a great example of how you can meet objective one, which is to grab your reader and draw them in, and objective two, which is to set out your stall all in one go. And what I would draw your attention to here is the way in which the author creates a setting through the dream. And the writing does have a kind of dream-like quality. We sense the mood that Maurier is creating here as well. And we're intrigued by this character. Who is this person who's dreaming of visiting this house? And what's their relationship with the house? Now, by way of contrast, Stephen King manages to give us a flavour of his character and setting and voice in the first few words of his novel, The Gunslinger. The first book in the Dark Tower series, this is that first line. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. In those few words, we're introduced to two main characters. We get a sense of the voice that King is going to be using and we've got a little bit of the setting. There is going to be a chase. The context in which it happens is a desert. So set out your stall, present your characters and your setting. Be clear and confident with your voice. And in doing so, you will reassure the reader and confirm in their mind that they are in safe hands. And this brings us to our third objective. It's not enough to grab the reader at the beginning of your story. It's not enough to set out your stall. You have to do is also create a situation that will need to be addressed. So objective three is to create the need for action. If there isn't anything that has to happen, there won't be a story. So, for example, if there's no Sauron and no ring, then there is no Lord of the Rings. If there's no Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice, then there's no story. So this critical third objective at the first stage is to prepare the way for your story to really begin. So as well as grabbing the reader and introducing the characters and the setting, you're planting the seeds of the things that must change even at this early stage and the best metaphor i have for this and which i keep coming back to in my own mind is that this early stage is like a pregnancy and the birth is where your story takes off where things really get going where the inciting incident happens you're preparing the ground for that inciting incident and indeed the reader must subconsciously feel the need for that inciting incident when it arrives Think about the Lord of the Rings again. In those early chapters before Frodo sets off, when when Bilbo has his party and when Gandalf is flitting back and forth, and when Bilbo has such a struggle to leave the ring, we feel a sense of unease. We feel that there's something that needs to be dealt with here. Yes, we're getting the setting and the characters and Tolkien's voice, but we also know there's something wrong. There's an unease in those chapters which gives birth to the inciting incident, which I think is where Frodo discovers the true nature of the ring and leaves the Shire with Sam. Another great example of this is the Harry Potter series. We can almost breathe a sigh of relief when Harry finally gets off to Hogwarts. At least things are underway. We may feel unease, we may know he's in danger, but at least there's some action and he can get away from the dreadful Dursleys for a while. So the third objective of this first stage is to create the seeds of discontent which will lead us to the inciting incident. So let's recap, your three objectives are one, to grab your reader right from the start and compel them to stay with your story. You might do this by giving them a shocking or outrageous or intriguing first line or you might well do it by presenting a wonderful setting or intriguing characters or being very clear and compelling with your voice. Two, set out your stall, show them what the setting is, show them what the characters are, reassure them with your voice, reassure them with the style, make sure it's consistent and clear and your readers will stay with you third objective create the need for action show your reader that all is not well something's going on something needs to happen something needs to change and the herald of that action the point where it really starts will be your inciting incident and we'll look at the transition into the inciting incident in the next episode so today i have quoted from the following works earthly powers by anthony burgess published by hutchinson Peter and Wendy by J.M. Barry, published by Hodder and Stoughton. Fahrenheit451 by Ray Bradbury, published by Ballantine Books. The Lovely Bones by Alice Sebald, published by Little Brown and Company. Traveller's Blues, written and published by Andrew J. Chamberlain. The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, published by Little Brown and Company. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, published by Galance, And The Gunslinger by Stephen King, published by Grant and Hodder. And the excerpt from The Secret of the Arabella was created for this podcast. There's a visual representation of the show notes from this episode on Pinterest. That's at www.pinterest.com. Go there and look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt. If you want to get in touch with me to talk about anything to do with your work, just drop me a line. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. Feel free to find us on Goodreads. We're at the Creative Writers Toolbelt group at goodreads.com. That's all for this episode. My thanks to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.